What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, and welcome to The Boochcast. This week is pay-per-view recap week here on The Boochcast. But this is not just any old common pay-per-view recap. This is THE pay-per-view recap, as we are about to get into WrestleMania 35, which took place last night at MetLife Stadium, and I cannot wait to talk about this pay-per-view. So just like I do during every pay-per-view recap, I am not going to waste any of your time whatsoever. We are going to get down to the nitte, a gritte. And we're going to start things off with, of course, we have Yolanda Adams singing America the Beautiful. The helicopters fly over the arena, which I thought was odd. Normally, they have, uh, you know, you know, Air Force jet pilots, but they chose the helicopters. Um, thought that was kind of weird, but anyway, still good. And then we cut to the opening segment. Alexa Bliss, the host of WrestleMania, comes out to the stage to kick off the show. She talks about her hosting duties tonight and says that if she wants a WrestleMania moment, all she has to do is snap her fingers. And the crowd kind of looks at her and she goes, oh, you don't believe me? And then she snaps her fingers and then Hulk Hogan's music hits. Hogan comes out to the stage and he cups his hand, does his trademark pose. The crowd pops. Everybody loves it. Hogan gets on the mic and says, well, let me tell you something something, brother! And he gets a big pop from the crowd. Then, of course, Hogan jokes about calling the arena the Silver Dome because he knows it got a lot of laughs at WrestleMania 30. And he talked about how great it is to be back at WrestleMania because, of course, it's been five years since the last time Hulk Hogan made any appearance at WrestleMania. This is his first WrestleMania back since he was welcomed back to the WWE with open arms and being forgiven for, you know, the, the racist controversy that took place years ago. And, you know, he gets he, t- he doesn't mention the racist, the racial controversy. He just says it's great to be back at WrestleMania. Then he calls it the MetLife Center, and Hogan talks about how good it is to be in front of 80,000 Hulkamaniacs. He talks about how big tonight is and then asks, what are, what you gonna do when Hulkamania, Alexa Bliss, and WrestleMania run wild on you? Then Hogan and Alexa Bliss do the classic Hogan poses, and then all of a sudden, Paul Heyman walks out to the ring, walks right past Hulk Hogan and Alexa Bliss. He walks down to the ring, he gets on the mic, and he says, if Brock Lesnar isn't main eventing the show tonight, then they're not going to wait all night. They're going to do the match right now, take care of business, then they're flying to Las Vegas where his client is appreciated. Heyman then introduces his client, the universal, the reigning, defending, undisputed, universal heavyweight champion, Barack Lesnar. Now, before we get to the Universal title match, I want to say real quick, I love the fact that Hulk Hogan got to be part of WrestleMania. A part of me thought he was going to come out and um, interrupt and interrupt Elias or something, but I'll get to that a little later on in the recap. But I'm glad the Hulkster's back. I'm glad that WWE's allowing Hogan to make more appearances in WWE. You know, he made his first official return at the Crown Jewel show. Then they had him come out to uh, pay respects to the passing of Mean Gene Oakland, do a little tribute. And of course, at the Hall of Fame, he and Inducted Brutus the Barber Beefcake, his longtime best friend in the business, who he came up with in the business into the Hall of Fame, which was epic. And now he's here at WrestleMania because, you know, regardless of where you stand with Hulk Hogan, it's obvious that, you know, Hogan's a different person than the guy that was on that tape. And Hogan obviously has earned the right to come back to WWE because this is where Hogan ultimately belongs. Now, whether he stays with WWE or if AEW at some point picks him up to do something, 
something. Who knows? But the fact is, you cannot have WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. You cannot talk about the impact that WrestleMania has had on the world without Hulk Hogan. You cannot explain the legacy, the pageantry, the true excellence of WrestleMania without talking about Hulk Hogan. The man who in his prime was the guy in wrestling. The man. He carried that company on his back. He headlined, main evented multiple WrestleManias. Had some of the most legendary matches of all time at WrestleMania. He belongs at WrestleMania. Whether he's on the mic or at some point if he's crazy enough to get in the ring for an attraction match. Whatever. However he's used, you cannot have WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan. You just cannot. And for him to share the stage with Alexa Bliss was great. To see Bliss kind of pose with Hogan. Have her smiling a little bit. It's like it's hard to tell if Alexa Bliss is heel or babyface. But I think in that moment she was like a temporary situational babyface. Because how do you not get nostalgia? How do you not feel giddy posing with Hulk Hogan? It's not every day that women, the women wrestler wrestlers get to pose with the Hulkster. So that was great. I also like the fact that Paul Heyman came out and wanted to kick this match up off. I like that this match opened the show because let's be honest if the women are going to main event this Wrestlemania you can't have the Brock Lesnar Seth Rollins match that close to it I mean ideally would I like it to be the second to last match yes because Seth Rollins is the 2019 Royal Rumble winner so I'm a little pissed off that the Royal Rumble winner is opening Wrestlemania again because it's happened in the past but since the women's Royal Rumble winner is still main eventing Wrestlemania it's not too bad and plus it gets this whole match out of the way because, let's be honest, no one's really excited for this match. Not a lot of people were. So, to have it open the show, I had no problems with that. And on that note, we'll get to that first official match of the evening for the Universal title. Brock Lesnar defends against Seth Rollins. This match was everything we thought it would be. Short, sweet, to the point. Most of the match is basically Brock attacking Seth Rollins before the bell. Beating the shit out of him. Then he throws him into the ring, hits his, you know, does his suplex city bullshit. Then he goes for the F5, but then Seth fights out and then shoves Brock into the referee who falls out of the ring and then as soon as the ref falls out of the ring Seth Rollins goes for the low blow then he kicks Brock in the face and then he hits three curb stomps and then covers Brock Lesnar one two three the winner and the new universal champion Seth Rollins and of course Seth looks shocked as he celebrates with his new universal title belt he holds up the belt as fireworks go off on the stage Seth swings the belt around in the air on the stage as Brock looks on and dis- looks on in disbelief from the ring and of course Paul Heyman has his hands over his mouth and he's in a state of shock the whole time and here's the thing I knew Seth Rollins wasn't gonna win clean. And I would have been pissed off if he did win clean. And I said that before. But I'm a little disappointed. I really wanted to see the Shield dismantle Brock Lesnar. I really wanted to see Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns come out. Beat the shit out of Brock. Do that triple Shield powerbomb. The the one, two, three. The Shield pose in the ring. Seth holding up the Universal title. To just do a low blow and three curb stomps and that ends the fucking match? It's a little bit sad. The only positive about this match is the fact that Brock Lesnar is no longer the Universal Champion. And the fact that so many fans have been sick and tired of seeing Brock Lesnar, myself included, with the Universal title, sitting at home, not doing a goddamn fucking thing. People were just happy to see to see Brock lose the belt at the end of the day. So nobody really complained too much 
much about match order or match quality or anything. People are just happy Seth has the belt. And in a way, so am I. You know? I feel like this Seth Rollins, this version of Seth Rollins is worthy of being a champion. As opposed to his run in 2015, which was fucking garbage. It was hot garbage. This, I actually see being better. And I'm intrigued to see what challenges Seth is going to have going forward. I don't see Brock Lesnar fighting for the title again, although there are rumors going around the internet, apparently, that he has signed an extension with WWE. He's going to continue to work shows. I know WWE has at least one Saudi Arabia show confirmed for next month. I don't know if they're going to have another one. There might be one in a few months down the road. So I'm pretty sure Brock Lesnar will be present for the Saudi Arabia shows at least. At this point, that's what I would do with Brock Lesnar. Just bring him in for those international shows. Like the Super Showdowns, the Crown Jewels, the Greatest Royal Rumbles, that kind of shit. If you're going to Saudi Arabia or doing a special from Japan or a special from Australia or a special from China or whatever the fuck. Whatever, England, whatever. Bring Brock Lesnar in for those special gigs and have him face nostalgia and have him face other big names and just keep him away from the WWE title, keep him away from the Universal title, keep him away from all that. In fact, I will go as far as to say the only time I would ever want to see Brock Lesnar fight for a championship again is if him and Shelton Benjamin reformed a tag team and fought for the tag team titles. Which, of course, I know contradicts a lot of what I say because I don't want to see Shelton Benjamin in a tag team anymore. I want him to be a solo star and I want him to be the next WWE champion or the next Universal champion, preferably WWE champion. I want him to be the guy to hold that belt and carry the company like he should have been, like he should have been years ago. And then after that, just eventually phase Brock Lesnar out. Now, the best part is there's no automatic rematches. So Brock Lesnar is not entitled to a rematch, but hopefully they don't try to twist things around and give Brock Lesnar another shot at the title and allow him to be champion again. Because hopefully Vince has learned by now, no one is happy to see Brock Lesnar with a title sitting at home and the belt not being on TV every week and not being defended. The eras of guys like Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan doing that are over. It's a new era and Vince needs to occasionally cater to that new era, most definitely. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got AJ Styles versus Randy Orton. I, for one, enjoyed this match. I really did. I feel like the audience was dead for most of it because I feel like people were so excited to see Seth Rollins win the Universal title that it was tough for them to follow. But it doesn't change the fact that it was still a great match because these two definitely know how to wrestle and I felt both of them told a great story. So I have no complaints about this match at all. Although I did find it intriguing that AJ Styles was the first wrestler I've seen in a long time to kick out of one RKO. Other than The Undertaker and maybe John Cena, I can't think of any other wrestler that's taken an RKO and kicked out. Usually once Orton hits the RKO, it's done. But anyway, AJ kicked out at two. Then of course, AJ goes for the phenomenal forearm. Orton tries to counter it with an RKO. AJ shoves him off, hits the phenomenal forearm, covers him one, two, three. The winner of the match, AJ Styles. And I like the fact that AJ Styles won because I feel like this is AJ Styles' chance to continue to build on his resume. And I feel like AJ Styles is going to be a major player for years to come. I don't know how much longer Randy Orton has left in the tank. I don't know how much longer Randy Orton is going to be a top guy in the company before he finally inevitably retires. I know with the way he works and the fact that he's a little bit he 
he's slightly part-time, not completely, but slightly part-time, meaning he only works SmackDowns and pay-per-views. He doesn't do house shows or anything like that. You know, he's still a major player. So for AJ Styles to get a victory over him elevates him, which is the right thing to do. Because by elevating AJ Styles, it allows him to elevate people in the company as well. So I'm glad that AJ got the win over Randy Orton and that Orton was able to, you know, and was willing to put Styles over. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. Oh wait, before that, Lacey Evans comes out and walks around. She's announced as the sexy Southern Belle, poses on the stage and then leaves. I'm sick of that shit. She barely even, she just walks to the front of the stage and walks back. She doesn't even walk down the fucking aisle. Waste of time. But then we get to the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. The Usos defend the gold against the bar, Alistair Black and Ricochet, and the team of Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura. The only good moment in this match was the Tower of Doom. The big pyramid superplex powerbomb combo. Although Ricochet, you know, almost landed on his feet but kind of fell back but then he rolled through and recovered, you know, laying in the corner a little bit. So that was a great moment for him. But other than that, it was just a bunch of guys trying to get their shit in, which is not good for a WrestleMania. I hate multi-person matches because all they do, it's just a, it just becomes a spot fest. There's very little to no storytelling and that's exactly what this match was. And not only that, the Usos hit some super kicks on Sheamus, hit the double splash on the top rope, Get the one, two, three. Your winners of the match and still SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. And once again, the Usos are still the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And I have no fucking idea why. Why? It makes no fucking sense. They have done everything possible on SmackDown. There is nobody left for them to beat. It is getting to the point where they are now becoming stale as a, as a SmackDown team. They need to go to Raw. And they can't do that if they still have the SmackDown Tag Team titles. And and next Monday is a superstar shakeup, which means the Usos would have to have a tag team title match on SmackDown and drop the belts there to go to Raw. I just feel like the Usos have done it all. And also, they've been shoving Aleister Black and Ricochet down everybody's throats and don't even have the common courtesy to put belts around their waist, especially when they lost at the TakeOver show to the War Raiders. I mean, if you weren't going to put the belts on them in, on SmackDown, you might as well gave it to them in NXT and then sent them back to NXT where they could fuck off until it's re- until they're ready to actually be talent on the main roster. This is the one time Alistair Black and Ricochet should have got belts around their waist. I mean, the bars already held the belts numerous times. Rusev and Nakamura shouldn't even be a fucking tag team, but I felt giving the belts to the Usos was a shitty idea. So, it was a great match, but the finish was the shitty. And on that note, we see the uh, the class, the 2019 class of W Hall of Fame comes out to the stage. Fireworks go off. DX comes out, and they throw their glow sticks around and kind of do the two sweet with uh, all the other Hall of Famers as they're running around having fun and then they get on their own respective star and kind of pose for the audience. I mean, it was great. And then, of course, uh, Sue Atchison was there and she had this little kid with them who we found out was John Cena's 600th Make-A-Wish. That kid was the 600th wish John Cena has granted. And here's the thing. You can say whatever you want about John Cena. That's a major fucking accomplishment that there are 600 kids whose wish is to meet John Cena. That means you made an impact on somebody's life when 600 people and part of their dying wish is to meet you in person, talk to you, shake your hand, get an autograph or a picture, do whatever. That's an incredible feeling to have. And moments like that make me one make me realize why John Cena loves the character that he does and why he continues to portray it on TV. Because that is more satisfying than trying to please some whiny Mark, you know, living in his parents' basement, hiding behind a key 
keyboard. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. Falls count anywhere. The Miz versus Shane McMahon. This was awesome! Pun absolutely intended. This was an awesome match. And I don't say that about The Miz often. The last time I said Miz had a great match was when he fought Dolph Ziggler at No Mercy in 2016. That was the last time Miz had a great match. This is the second one. I loved it. I love this match from start to finish. The storytelling was great. The inclusion of Shane's dad was great. Each guy getting great shots on the other. Really, the only thing I didn't like was when his dad blocked the leap of faith. Other than that, it was total chaos. And here's what I love the most about this Falls Count Anywhere match. The fact that they went all around the stadium and that the majority of the match was far away from the ring. That needed to happen. Not just because the Falls Count Anywhere match, but because later on in the night, there's going to be a no-holds-barred match between Triple H and Batista, which we're going to get to later in this recap. And we already know that match is going to be brutal and that match is going to be violent. But we also know because it's a no-holds-barred match, it's going to take place place within the confines of the ring area because he still they still have to get the pinfall or the submission inside the ring so to have a, a, a false count anywhere match and have most of the action be near the ring or a pinfall or submission happening in the ring would make it no less special than the no holds bar match it would just it would be just just it would be the same type of match and it would be shitty they had to go everywhere and Miz did some moves I didn't know he was capable of doing and he got he got violent he got down and dirty this was a side of the Miz I'd never seen before and I hope I see again and what's even better was when when Shane taunted Miz's dad because his dad comes up with his fists up and then Shane like walks over to his dad and puts his fists up like come on dude protect your face but then still beat the hell out of him I thought that was pretty funny but then of course in the end they get on top of that scaffolding the Miz superplexes Shane they crash through another crash pad Shane ends up laying on top of Miz when they land the ref counts one two three the winner of the match Shane McMahon. I'm going to be honest. I did not see that coming. I didn't. I 100% did not see that coming. But if Shane McMahon was going to win this match, then that was the picture perfect way for him to win this match. And that was definitely a match of the night candidate right there. It really was. It was a match of the night candidate. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was the match of the night. And I've never given that honor to The Miz before, ever in my life. But I was impressed. I was put in a situation where I had no choice but to give Miz his props. I still hate him, but I'm giving him props. Now let's see if after WrestleMania, once this rivalry with Shane comes to an end, because I'm pretty sure it's going to keep going till Miz gets his revenge, let's hope he maintains this and doesn't revert back when this rivalry is inevitably done. And on that note, we will move on to the next match of the evening for the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles. The Boss and Hug Connection put the titles on on the line against the Divas of Doom, the Samoan Slaughterhouse, and the Iconics. Now, of course, Sasha Banks and Bailey being the Boston Hug Connection, Beth Phoenix and Natalia being the Divas of Doom, Nia Jax and Tamina being the Samoan Slaughterhouse, and Billy Kane, Peyton Royce, the Iconics. This was basically another spot fest. And here's another thing that I noticed during this match, at the beginning of the match. Once again, Beth Phoenix came out to the ring. Once again, not a single fuck was given. The fans had 
have been dead for Beth Phoenix. So whatever they thought they were going to get out of a Beth Phoenix return, yeah, they didn't get it. And of course, Beth and Natalia both came out dressed in black and pink, like Hart style. Bret Hart comes out to walk them down the ramp, and then he leaves. So Bret Hart kind of came out because, of course, he was there uh, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame as one half of the Hart Foundation. Jim the Anvil Neidhart, the late great Jim the Anvil Neidhart, of course, receiving that honor as well. And Natalia accepting the award on her on uh, her father's behalf. Although I'm pretty sure if her mom is still alive, I don't know for sure, he's, she's probably going to give the Hall of Fame ring to her mother. And she should. Because with all due respect to Natalia, you shouldn't walk around with a Hall of Fame ring that belongs to your dad. You should wait till you get your own ring and brag more about that. Take that ring and either give it to your mom or if you don't have either one of your parents, put it somewhere, you know, stash it somewhere. You know, it's probably somewhere like the living room or something where it can be shown off. Like, hey, this is my father's Hall of Fame ring. But I don't think it's something you should wear everywhere you go. I think that would be disrespectful. And the reason I say it would be disrespectful is because she's in the business already. You should want to wear your own Hall of Fame ring and strut around with that. But, you know, put it somewhere nice where people can look at it when they come visit her, when they come to the house. But don't brag about the ring like it's your own. That's that's the only thing I would say. That's just me talking personally, my own opinion. But anyway, and just like the SmackDown title match, I will say this is another match where, once again, it's a spot fest. Everybody basically getting their shit in. But what I liked about this match was that the women did double team moves. And this is something that I'm really noticing a lot with the women's division. They're doing a lot more tag team wrestling than the men are. They're all, these, these women are doing old school tag team wrestling. They're actually bringing honor and prestige back to tag team wrestling. And for the fans, it's awesome. For the men's tag team division, it is shameful. The fact that the women are doing better tag team wrestling than the men, the men should be ashamed of themselves. They should. The fact that the women are showing you up, they should be, the men should be ashamed. As fans, we should enjoy it because it's still great wrestling. But that's just the point I want to make. The, the male tag teams need to step their game up. Really need to step their game up. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the WWE Championship. Daniel Bryan defends the gold against Kofi Kingston. This is another match of the night candidate right here. This might be the one match that beats Shane McMahon and The Miz. Just the simple fact that this match was great from a technical standpoint and it had everybody in the arena on the edge of their seats. I may be as so bold as to say this match could have been the main event. I think the only reason it wasn't the main event was because they wanted to do something special for the women and the fact that Kofi Kingston did not win the Royal Rumble. But I could think, I think after this match, uh, Kofi Kingston could be next year's Royal Rumble winner assuming he's not the champion at that time. Because that's right, ladies and gentlemen. He hit the trouble in paradise, got the one, two, three, and became the new WWE champion. So all the trauma, all the bullshit, all the craziness that Kofi went through, we got the payoff. So it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Not only that, but I think that now that Kofi Kingston is the WWE champion, I'm hoping this will shut all these wrestling fans that call Vince McMahon racist the fuck up. I really hope that at this point now, people will stop saying that because it's bullshit and it's not true. Even before Kofi got the belt, it wasn't true. This match was amazing. And at one point, you didn't know who was going to win. 
There was doubt created in this match. Was Kofi Kingston going to win? A lot of people felt that he was going to win. A lot of people felt he should win. In a perfect world, we would all believe he would win. But WWE has been known to commit so much fuckery and make so many bad decisions that it's hard. It's very hard to tell if they're going to do the right thing because they've done the wrong thing too many times to count. But finally, they did the right thing. Kofi Kingston won the WWE Championship. And here's the best part about it. You can tell Kofi didn't get the title just because he's black. This wasn't an affirmative action situation. This wasn't a let's put the belt on him so the fans will stop calling me racist situation. Kofi got the belt because he was insanely over with the crowd. He won them over on his own merit. He's been in the WWE for 11 years. But let's be honest. During that 11 years, he wasn't WWE Championship material. Sure, he had a great personality. Sure, he can cut some decent promos. But let's be honest. Kofi Kingston was not a guy you would put in the title picture over the course of these 11 years. Even when he had that great one and rivalry with Randy Orton, he was not ready to be a WWE Champion. But he connected with the audience. He was impressive in, in not one, but two gauntlet matches. And remember, he only got this opportunity because of Mustafa Ali's injury. If Mustafa Ali had never gotten injured, Kofi would have never got this title shot. He wouldn't have won that title. So there's a lot of factors that went into Kofi Kingston getting this championship opportunity. There was a lot of luck and it was fate. Right place, right time. But his resume shows that he deserves it. Kofi Kingston can say, I'm not being WWE champion because Vince wants to make a black WWE champion. I became WWE champion because I won over the crowd and I proved myself. My company loyalty. 11 years of loyal service WWE. Kofi Kingston doing everything that Vince is telling him to do and never once complained. Kofi Kingston never once complained. He was a Jamaican sensation. He never complained. He went into the New Day. He never complained. You know, he got a few pushes. He got knocked back down the ladder. He went up and down. His career had a lot of ups and downs and he never complained. He never done any shoot interviews. He never done any grievances backstage. He didn't complain to Vince McMahon saying, I deserve this. I earn, I deserve this. I should have this. He never wanted a handout. He always wanted to prove himself. Not just in the storyline, but in real life. Kofi Kingston earned this WWE Championship. And he earned it, not because of the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. And that is something to respect about Kofi Kingston. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, because a lot of fans are on the same page. But I'm just trying to make a point that Kofi Kingston earned this championship. And it was great when he won. Now, the question is, how long is Kofi Kingston going to hold on to the WWE Championship? Is he going to have a long run? Is he going to have a short run? How many rivalries is he going to have? When he inevitably loses the WWE Championship, who is he going to drop the belt to? That's what I find the most intriguing. I like to see how Kofi Kingston does as champion. Will he remain part of the New Day? Will the New Day turn on him? Will he turn on, will he split from the New Day himself? What will Kofi Kingston do? But I think it's safe to say he is now the new leader of the New Day. It was Xavier Woods. So could we see the two of them eventually feud and maybe Big E stays in the middle and tries to play Peacemaker? And then maybe Big E eventually joins up with Xavier or something like that. It'll be intriguing to see how this storyline plays out. But one thing is for sure, Kofi Kingston earned this title match. And it was a fight. It was a match. It was compelling. You didn't know who the fuck was going to win this. But Daniel Bryan, I got to give him credit too. Because he put himself in a position where he could have won at WrestleMania and the crowd would have booed mercilessly. When five years ago, he was in that same spot that Kofi was in. Different storyline, of course. And now Daniel Bryan is that guy holding back Kofi. So the question is, will there come a time in 
Kofi's career where he is a heel and he's trying to hold down the next big star. This is a lot to think about. I'll let you guys dwell on that as we move on. Oh, by the way, at ringside, Big E tosses aside the eco-friendly title belt. He reveals a new copy of the previous WWE title belt. They celebrate in the ring with Kofi's kids and the WWE title belt. Big E also reveals a New Day t-shirt with the WWE title on it, which kind of gives you an indication that they knew Kofi was going to win. So that that doesn't that that doesn't that, that kind of kills the nostalgia of oh Kofi won it and nobody knew for sure he was going to win. That so they know they had those teachers made in advance. But I like the fact they had that belt underneath that 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 blanket thing. I thought that was genius. Get rid of the hemp belt. Even though Desmond I know wanted him to keep the hemp belt and he'll probably talk about that the next time I have him on the show. But he didn't but I like the fact that now Kofi Kingston has a new WWE title belt. I feel the hemp belt should be exclusive to Daniel Bryan. He should hold on to that cuz that's his belt. That would be like someone else walking around with the smoking skull belt or having a spinner belt. No. The smoking skull belongs to Stone Cold. The spinning belt belongs to John Cena. This was the right move to make. Bring back the original WWE title with the Kofi side plates on it and let him have his run. And on that note, we move on to the next segment. Alexa Bliss is backstage. She walks into a door labeled Trainer's Room Mortuary. She walks in and talks to Che and Jost from Sa- Michael Che and Colin Jost from Saturday Night Live and tries to console them after their beating earlier in the night because they got whooped, Braun Strowman whooped their ass in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal to, and won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Alexa tells them Braun is actually a nice guy and they're in excellent hands. The doctors come over to Che and Joe's but the doctors end up being Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Hall says hey yo and Nash snaps a glove on his hand and asks that they should start with the prostate exam which was funny as hell because at first when I saw the back of the doctor's head I thought it was Strowman and Braun was going to turn around and beat the shit out of the Saturday Night Live guys but to see Scott Hall and Kevin Nash that's cool too because obviously they're up there for Wrestlemania weekend they got legends contracts and it's just it's just a fun skit for them to do because those guys aren't those guys aren't working in the ring anymore and it's something fun for them to do so I thought that was funny a little entertaining moment and it's a nice skit they can do with the Saturday Night Live cast and on that note we move on to the next match of the evening for the United States Championship Samoa Joe defends the gold against Rey Mysterio this is shitty shitty moving on squash match waste of fucking time I don't know why this match was here I don't this match served no purpose you know Rey Mysterio you know comes in they have a brief little scuffle he gets him into the he, he gets him into the ropes goes to the 619 goes up top for the splash but Joe dodges it locks Rey in the coquilla clutch chokes him out the ref stops it Samoa Joe keeps the US title really that's the only part of the match I like the fact that Samoa Joe is still champion but that match was a waste of fucking time it should never been booked it didn't need to be there and I the only thing I could think reason I could think of for it being a squash match is because the night is getting is because they needed to get some of these matches done early because so many other matches took so goddamn long and this night was very goddamn long and I'm gonna get to that a little later but Jesus Christ so this was definitely a shitty match and I think it was the first shitty match of the evening I believe yes it was I mean granted the Smackdown tag team title match had a shitty finish but it wasn't a shitty match I just didn't like the finish this I hated the match but I liked the finish so this was a shitty match great finish you know Joe winning and holding on to the title because Rey Mysterio doesn't fucking need it this match should have never took place waste of time and on that note we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre it was decent it was it was a very decent match it did okay you know Reigns hits the Superman punch and a spear gets the one two three after a you know great after a great match you know they but it was it was it was just it it was a match it was just a match nothing special really happened just two brawlers beating the shit out of each other which would be fine but again there wasn't a lot of build to this match and i honestly believe the only reason they put this match on there
there was because Roman Reigns was back from leukemia and they wanted to give him a WrestleMania match. And I will say this, the one good thing about this match was the fact that Roman Reigns, for the first time in five years, got cheered at a WrestleMania. For the first time in five years. Because WrestleMania 30 was the last time Roman Reigns was cheered by the fans at a WrestleMania. WrestleMania 31, they booed his ass. WrestleMania 32, they booed his ass. 33, they definitely booed his ass. I know, I was there. WrestleMania 34, they even booed his ass there. Even though he was gonna, even though we were hoping he would still beat Brock Lesnar and bring back the Universal Championship, fans still expressed their contempt and disdain for Roman Reigns. But at this WrestleMania, they cheered him. That's really the only good thing that came out of this match, was Roman got a positive response from the fans because the big dog is back and in remission. But I still don't feel like the match needed to happen. I felt Roman could have gotten the ring and, you know, helped Seth Rollins beat Brock Lesnar. I still say that should have been Roman's Roman. Just them and just the shield together at WrestleMania one more time, slaying the beast together, and then that's it. So that's how I feel. I just felt like this match took up a lot of time that could have been given to the the main event that's coming up. Again, it's, it's dragging the night on and it's taking up a lot of space. Again, this is not me hating on Roman Reigns because I'm a big Roman Reigns fan, but I didn't feel like this match needed to happen. And on that note, we move on to the next segment. Elias appears on the big screen with a drum set in front of him, and he plays them. Then he appears with a piano and plays that. Elias appears in the ring now with his guitar. He talks about how special tonight is, because he's going to play an all-Elias concert with the recordings of him on the drums and piano. Elias cuts his usual walk with Elias promo. He then tells everyone to silence their cell phones, hold their applause, and shut their mouths for this special WrestleMania song tonight. Next thing you know, old-school black-and-white footage appears on the big screen, and we see footage from an old-world series series game with Babe Ruth calling a shot and hitting the home run. There's lots of Babe Ruth footage, then they say he comes back out for a curtain call, and next thing you know, John Cena's old Thugonomics music hits, and we see Thugonomics on the board, and Cena makes his way out to the ring, and he's out in his old school ring gear. He's got a Yankees jersey on with Babe Ruth's number on the back, he's got a backwards Yankees cap, he's got the Ward Life brass knuckle knuckle things on his hands and he's got a chain around his neck with a lock the chain in the lock the jorts the pumped up sneakers the Reebok pumps and he walks out to the ring high fives key and peel then he gets in the ring and he starts rapping at Elias as the doctor of thugonomics and in fact I believe we might have some audio of that and I'm gonna play that right now for you guys kill the beat kill the beat kill the beat kill the beat The doctor with Thugonomics is back. And poor Elias just got the worst deal. Cause you standing in the ring when John Cena about to turn heel. Silence your cell phone, hold your applause, shut your mouth and no string plucks. Feel like I'm watching one of my movies because this whole damn thing sucks. This means walk with Elias? Nah, I'm not really feeling it. Because without the guitar, what it really means is wasted wrestling experiment. 
I'm a bad man, my style like a pit bull bit you. And you ain't even half a dog, you just a little piece of shih tzu. shelf because everybody here just saw you only like playing with yourself and they call me the golden shovel so I'm about to bury a push your face looks like my nuts except you got a hairier bush <laughs> oh Looks like I wore out my welcome. It's about time that I left you. So there'll be no AA for today. But you about to get the F you. Oh! We're gonna pump him up. Well, it's now called the AA. As a throwback call. Oh. Man! Word life. This is Word life indeed, the 16-time world champion, John Cena, makes his appearance this year at WrestleMania, much to the chagrin of Elias. What a verbal assault. Poor Elias just got I'm all for Elias having his concert through it in any capacity, but at WrestleMania, at MetLife Stadium, by the Doctor of Thugonomics, throwback old school John Cena. I mean, that's about as cool as it gets. It's so good. What a, what a moment. Found out a lot about Elias during that. Now, I can't speak for everybody, although I'm pretty sure I'm speaking for the majority, as well as myself, when I say that was the highlight moment of WrestleMania. John Cena coming back as the Doctor of Thugonomics, because nobody saw that coming. Not one person expected that. We expected a possible interruption from John Cena, but we did not expect him to come back as the Doctor of Thugonomics, and it was genius. And here's what I love most about this. John Cena played to the marks, which was the best thing to do because at WrestleMania 35, the marks are in attendance. There's an abundance of them. They all know the inner workings. So when John Cena is saying things like turn heel, the golden shovel, bury your push, it was great. And then of course he threw in some other stuff like the Shih Tzu and the Photoshopping thing, which Cena's been known to do that as well. Threw in a couple of good classic lines and really left it with Elias and then called his finisher for one night only the FU. Perfect. And he pumped up the sneakers before he did the FU. It was fantastic. Now of course Michael Cole still had to say AA because he's even though John Cena is leaving the PG realm, Michael Cole still has to work within the confines of the PG. So that's so when Corey Graves said it's a throwback Cole, I will give Corey Graves props. That was a smart thing to say to kind of allude to that. 
that because Cena can pretty much say whatever he wants. The only line that's shocking when he said, I feel like I'm watching one of my movies because this whole damn thing sucks. That's the only line I kind of questioned because if Cena's going to insult his movies like that, that might, I don't know if that's going to hurt him getting other movies in Hollywood because if John Cena is going to badmouth his projects, could that hurt him in other Hollywood realms? Or will the people he's working with in Hollywood understand that John Cena is playing a role in that ring? Can they suspend that disbelief? You would think in Hollywood that they would, but you're never completely sure. So that was really the only line where I kind of went, eh, John, you spend more time in Hollywood than you do in WWE. I don't think that was a good line to say. But I loved everything else. I loved everything else. I couldn't have been happier to see John Cena's Dr. Thugonomics. Now, whether Cena continues to be the Dr. Thugonomics in his future returns, or if that's the one and only time we see it, at least for a long, at least for a long time, then that's okay. Because, you know, Cena did come back as Dr. Thugonomics in 2012 when he went up against The Rock. So, but this was like the first time we saw it really, really raw at WrestleMania. So it was kind of cool to see. I loved it. I thought it was a highlight moment. I watch it on YouTube over and over and over again. Whenever, whenever WWE deletes a YouTube clip from that. And that's what they don't like. The fact that on their YouTube channel, they just have John Cena walk into the ring. They didn't bring in the rap. I feel like if enough people on the WWE YouTube channel clamor for it, they might post that. Because I know they did that before. They had a condensed version of like when John Cena and Roman Reigns just teed off on each other verbally that contract signing. At first, they just had a condensed version of it. But so many people clamored for it. So many people were uh, excited about it. They put the whole uncut contract signing up there. So I'd like to see them put the whole uncut John Cena entrance. Although, there is one aspect about it that I thought was kind of crazy. Because when I saw Babe Ruth, I was thinking Hulk Hogan was going to interrupt Elias. I really did. That's why I said before I thought Hogan was going to interrupt Elias. Because Hulk Hogan is the Babe Ruth of wrestling. Now, Corey Graves tried to call John Cena the Babe Ruth of wrestling, which made me want to smack the tattoos off his neck. Because, motherfucker, I love John Cena, but he is not the Babe Ruth of wrestling. Hulk Hogan is the Babe Ruth of wrestling. Now and forever. If you want to say John Cena is the Barry Bonds of wrestling, fine. Or the Roger Maris of wrestling, I'll take that. Or the Mark McGuire of wrestling, I'll take that shit too. But under no circumstances will you ever refer to John Cena as the Babe Ruth of wrestling. That is Hulk Hogan's title, you son of a bitch. Alright, that being said, when I heard curtain call at the end, I thought the click was going to interrupt. I thought it was going to be Triple H, Shawn Michaels, X-Pac, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. Or maybe just Hall, Nash, Hunter, and HBK. I thought it would be the four of them because they did the infamous curtain call at Madison Square Garden where they hugged in the ring and celebrated and exposed the business and pissed off everyone backstage and Triple H got severely punished for it because Hall and Nash were leaving for WCW. That's why they did it. And Shawn Michaels was the, was the, was the champion so he could pretty much get away with murder. So Triple H had to basically eat shit and like the taste of it. Originally, he was supposed to win the 96 King of the Ring, but he lost. He ended up not getting that opportunity because of this curtain call. So in a way, the curtain call gave us Austin 316. And then, of course, Triple H would go on to win it the following year in 1997 after he uh, paid his dues of being punished by Vince McMahon. He served his time. So I thought the that was going to be it. But then when Thugonomics came up, I went, holy shit, this is crazy. Because a lot 
lot of people thought maybe The Rock was going to interrupt, which I, which would have been intriguing as well. But it ended up being John Cena. It ended up being Thugonomics John Cena. And I think that's a moment none of us will trade for anything in the world. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. No holds barred. Triple H versus Batista. This match was violent, entertaining, and cringeworthy for all the right reasons. Now, a lot of people questioned whether this match would be entertaining, whether Batista could still go, whether Triple H could still go, and whether or not they could truly be no holds barred in the PG era. Well, they threw the PG era out the fucking window because I have never seen Triple H this violent in a long time. I mean, at one point, he chokes Batista with a chain. He uses a pair of pliers, clamps onto Batista's hand with these pliers and twists his hand around like some kind of a bruiserweight kind of thing. Then he throws a chair in the ring, picks up a pair of pliers, traps Batista under the chair, and then uses the pliers to rip out his nose ring. And then at one point, uh, Triple H has the rolls ring, Batista rolls at the ringside. And then, of course, Corey Graves goes, Batista's nose is bleeding. No shit, Corey. He ripped out a freaking nose ring, you dumbass. This is why I don't like Corey Graves, okay? Not only is he shitty on commentary, he's also Captain Obvious. We fucking know. No shit, dumbass. But anyway, this match was just violent from start to finish. There were steel chairs, the ring steps. At one point, the sledgehammer comes in. And Batista also fired some shots off with the ring steps, putting you know, going through the the Spanish announce table. Just he does the Batista bomb off the Spanish announce table and the English one. Or he tries to, but Triple H reverses into a back body drop. Batista crashes through. I mean, he hits the announce table, doesn't break. Then he crashes through the other one. I mean, these guys just fucking killed each other in this match. And because the false count anywhere match was all over the fucking place, this match got a lot more attention. As I said, everything was going to happen within the confines of the ring area because they got to get the pin or the submission in the ring. And that's what we got. Triple H, of course, pulls out the sledgehammer. You know, Ric Flair emerges and slides the other sledgehammer after Triple H tried to go over sledgehammer, but Batista rever- stopped him, hit the Batista bomb, looked like he was going to win. Triple H kicked out. There were very few pinfall attempts, but each side got some pinfall attempts where it looked like Batista was going to win again or Triple H was going to win. But then Ric Flair comes out, slides the other sledgehammer to Triple H. Flair then distracts Batista. Triple H charges Batista, nails him in the head with the hammer, hits the pedigree, gets the three count, and Triple H wins the match. Triple H and Hugs Ric Flair after the match at ringside as they head up the ramp together. And all I gotta say is, I'm okay with Triple H getting this win. Why am I okay with that? Because it's what Triple H does. He beats the legends, but he still puts over the young guys when he wrestles them. So by Triple H getting these wins over legends, it ups his, re- it still makes him the game, still makes him tough, still says, hey, I can still go. Plus, when his career was put on the line, it was self-explanatory because even though Triple H doesn't wrestle all the time, he still can, still wants to, and in some cases he needs to. Why? To help give young guys the rub. Because when you work with established talent, it makes the new talent better. It gives them experience because you're in the ring with veterans. You're in the ring with ring generals. You need that. Young guys don't get better by wrestling other young guys. Going in the ring and doing your flippy-dippy bullshit with each other is going to make you better. You take established talent and you use them to get new talent over. But the established talent can't be jobbing all the fucking time. At some point, they gotta get some wins. They gotta build themselves up before somebody comes along and wipes them out. But if they're losing every week, then it ain't then it ain't special. So by Triple H beating Batista, he keeps his in-ring career, and the next time he wrestles, if it's a young guy, he gets to put them over. Make them look like a million bucks. So they can make a million bucks and make
make a million bucks for the company and then some so the match was fantastic it was nostalgia and it was something to entertain the audience it was an attraction and it gave Batista exactly what he wanted his last match where he can leave on his own terms and that's exactly what happened Batista is now done the next time we see Batista it's gonna be on a select he'll be making like you know celebrity appearances and maybe he'll and, and his Hall of Fame induction when he gets inducted with Evolution and when he gets his solo spot so at the end of the day Batista had a great career in WWE he was definitely a major contributor and a legend and, and he's a true legend in the business so I want to thank Batista for everything he's done in the company all the great moments he's had and I wish him the best of luck in Hollywood continued success Hollywood I should say. And on that note, we have Alexa Bliss hosts a promo spot for Daniel Bryan t-shirts backstage. Then Ron Simmons walks in and goes, Damn! Because the B-team's wearing the shirts and kind of bragging about them. Even though Daniel Bryan lost the WWE title. So that probably would have been a bad time to put out those shirts. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. The final match for Kurt Angle as he takes on Baron Corbin. This right here was the worst match of the night. This was the worst moment in all of WrestleMania 35. Nothing was more disgraceful than this piece of shit right here. First of all, Kurt Angle barely got on the offense and Baron Corbin basically just embarrasses Kurt Angle throughout the match, hits the end of days and gets the win. I'm sorry. Baron Corbin did not deserve this win. And I don't care. I know somebody on, on Facebook said to me, but it's it's the job of the of the established talent to put the new talent over. And I know I just said that, but I'm sorry. Baron Corbin doesn't deserve this push. Baron Corbin has sucked since he walked into the company on the main roster. He sucks in the ring. He sucks on the mic. He hasn't gotten any better and he's never gonna get any better. If Kurt Angle was gonna have a last match and get a win, it should have been with a top guy. Ideally, I would, you know, obviously a lot of people would love to see John Cena in this match. So would I. A lot of people, I like to see a lot of people in this last match. Maybe Shelton Benjamin could have had this spot. Hell, bring back somebody else, a, a classic, and let them have that match. But Baron Corbin is shit and did not deserve this match. He did not deserve this win. Corbin leaves after the match. Kirk is on the mic in the ring. Talks about having the time of his life for the last 20 years and to end his career, he wants to hear those two famous words he's heard throughout his career he calls for the music so he chants and the crowd chants along with Kurt's music the whole you suck you suck and I'm sorry but Kurt Angle you don't suck but that match sure as hell did it was a fucking disgrace Baron Corbin did not deserve this win and the fact that this is the last time Kurt Angle will be seen in a WWE ring makes me sick absolutely makes me sick to my stomach Kurt Angle deserved better he deserved so much better than this it's it's pathetic it's beyond pathetic. It's the worst moment of the entire fucking night was this match. A absolute disgrace. And, and the entire McMahon family should be hanging their head in shame for even allowing it to happen. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the Intercontinental title. Bobby Lashley defends the gold against Finn Balor. I look, whatever. That's the best way to describe this match. And yes, I know, Finn Balor came out as the demon. That's the only thing that made this match different though. Other than that, same moves, same in-ring shit. Bauer then successfully powerbombs Bobby Lashley. Hits the coup de gras. One, two, three. The winner and new Intercontinental Champion, Finn Balor. I'm glad Finn won the title, but I'm sorry he didn't deserve it. He, I mean, he, this match was stupid. It should have been on the fucking pre-show. We've seen this match too many times. Way too many times. It's not special. And like I said, this night was dragging on and on. It didn't need to be here. This wasted everyone's time. And it helped no one. And on that 
note, we're going to move on to the next segment here. Alexa Bliss comes out to the stage with a mic. She says they set a new WWE MetLife Stadium attendance record of 82,265. Alexa then says it's time for a break. And R2 the Carmella come out to the stage. And then they say it's time for the world's largest seven-second dance break. So they do a dance break in the ring. They do a dance break on the stage, which is pretty cool. And they celebrate the fact that 82,265 people went to MetLife Stadium for WrestleMania. Obviously, I was not part of the 82,265. There's a part of me that, you know, now after seeing WrestleMania overall, kind of wishes that I went, but I had a lot of shit to do here. And, you know, I obviously, you know, did not feel like traveling. Um, I wasn't sure if I would be able to, you know, work the stand-up into the schedule or not, because that would have been my more and more of my motivation for going. And, you know, I had the UCW show on Saturday, so that would have been awkward as well. So, in the end of the day, I'm glad that I didn't go to Mania on everything else. But there is a there is still that small part of me that, you know, wishes I could have been there for some of those moments. But, you know, looking back on it, I have more fun watching on watching on the network. And on that note, we see the heli- a helicopter with Charlotte in it, and it's approaching the MetLife Stadium. It parks in the parking lot, Charlotte gets out and heads in the building. Then we have Joan Jett performing Ronda Rouse's entrance song, you know, I don't give a damn about my reputation. So they got Joan Jett out to perform it, which was awesome. I kind of had a feeling they were going to do that. Because they do that a lot with bands in WWE. They've had Motorhead come out for Triple H, perform for Triple H. They've had the band that did Bray Wyatt's song. He came out at WrestleMania 30. Limp Biscuit performed uh, Roland because they were the musical guests at WrestleMania 19. So they've done that before with other bands. So it's not that big of a deal. It's not that, you know, uncommon. I don't want to say big of a deal because it is a big deal. But it's not that uncommon for that to happen. So it was great to see that happen for Ronda Rousey. And then we have the main event of the evening, the triple threat match, winner take all. Ronda Rousey defends the Raw Women's title against Charlotte and Becky Lynch. And Charlotte defends the SmackDown Women's Championship against Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch. And this match was, it was about survival. Here's the problem I have with this match. By the time the bell rang to start this match, it was midnight. Midnight. That's five hours. That is way too long for a wrestling show. Seven, if you include the goddamn kickoff show. It was insane. It was ridiculous. And it helped no one. Because everyone was tired by the time this match happened. And Michael Cole lost his damn voice and could barely talk. Because he'd been screaming all day. And you had all this insane matches. The audience is drained by the time they get there. And now these three women have to get this crowd going. And Becky Lynch is the only one they give a shit about. They hate Ronda Rousey. They hate Charlotte Flair. So Becky was, it was up to Becky Lynch to get that crowd excited. And the match itself was decent, but the only thing I really, the only thing I loved about it was the finish. Ronda going for Piper's Pit, but Becky rolls Ronda for a crucifix, does a crucifix roll up out of nowhere. And it looked like Ronda's shoulders came off the mat before the one count, but the ref didn't see it and counted the one, two, three. So the winner and new double champion, Becky Lynch. So even though Charlotte Flair was in the match, and I fucking hated that, at least she didn't win. And they put Charlotte into the table, and the table doesn't break. Which, again, here's my biggest problem. The women should not be using tables unless they are heavily gimmicked. Because these women do not have enough body mass to break a table. They just don't. They tried before. Putting women in a tables match, I know it embarrasses the women. Because they're all, you know, skinny. You need muscle mass. You need big, you need to be big and brawny to break a table. It just doesn't work. Like Nia Jax, you can put through a table. Charlotte, not so much. Becky, not so much. Ronda, not so much. Charlotte and Becky. 
Becky in separate matches have tried to use tables. Charlotte with Sasha, Becky with Alexa Bliss, and it failed every time. Every time. So the table spot was stupid. I like the double armbar spot from Ronda and the double powerbomb from Charlotte and Becky to break out of it. That spot I liked. And that was the only spot involving Charlotte that I liked. So people are going to say, what about the Spanish fly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like Charlotte being in this match at all. So it's just, that made it hard for me to enjoy. Because I knew in the back of my mind, had Charlotte won this match, this would have been my last pay-per-view recap ever. This would have been the final pay-per-view recap. I would be saying goodbye to WWE on this episode had Charlotte won the match. But because Becky did, I'm going to keep watching. And I like that Ronda was involved in the decision. And I like that her shoulder kind of came up during that pin. Because it gives Ronda a reason to fight now. Because there's no automatic rematches. So Charlotte's out of the picture pretty much. But this can lead to Ronda coming back, wanting a rematch with Becky, and then finally going one-on-one. Now, apparently on the internet, Ronda suffered a broken hand at WrestleMania. So if the handbrake is legit, they might write her off TV a little bit, give her some time, you know, to heal up her hand. And I say by the time we get to SummerSlam, you can have Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey one-on-one like it should have been. So I say, wait till then and give us the one-on-one match between them at Summer. Slam. Have Becky Lynch fight the other pay-per-views, dominate, whoop some ass, and then in the end, just, you know, either Becky retains or Ronda wins the belt back. But Ronda has a case, but you want to save that for SummerSlam. It would just work a lot better that way. But despite it all, I'm glad Becky Lynch is a double champion. She definitely deserves it. Charlotte's nowhere near a title picture. Ronda Rousey has a potential rematch coming up when she gets back from her broken hand. So in the meantime, in between time, Becky Lynch can shine like the diamond that she is as the women finally main evented Wrestlemania and the right woman stood tall and ironically enough it was the man alright that ladies and gentlemen will conclude my recap of Wrestlemania 35 thank you guys for tuning in to this classic recap um, I apologize for the audio quality of it um, obviously at the time that I was recording this I had different audio equipment as you can see this is a bit of an upgrade uh, to the audio equipment which is um a part of why we have the uh anchor.fm slash the boostcast slash support the money that we raise through the donations um provides us with upgraded equipment so this is what the uh the donations are going toward making the podcast better so if you need motivation to uh pick one of the three levels that we have um there's your motivation right there uh the notice the change in the uh the audio here and those three levels again are 99 cents per month uh that's the first level for people who uh, don't have a lot of money to spend. This is the bottom level for you guys to uh, give a little bit and help out. Uh, the second level is $4.99 per month. Uh, that's $5 a month. Uh, that's also helping us out a great deal. And the final level is $9.99 per month, which is basically $10 per month. So you can either you can pay as much as $10 or as little as a dollar. Either way, you're helping out the show a great deal. Those are the only three levels, so you don't have to worry about uh, donating more money. So you don't have to do that, or less money, which anything less than a dollar is kind of rude, but whatever. Uh, either way, these are the levels you can donate at, and you can pay with a credit card or with GPay by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. And uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. So pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all five hosting sites. You can also like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show, as well as great content. You can also follow us 
on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Check out our YouTube channel, the Boochcast YouTube channel. It's where all of our video content is held. Uh, you can check out uh, Boochcast reviews, Dark Side of the Ring, archived watch parties, funny skits, holiday videos, and of course, uh, hit that subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified for when new content will be posted. Also, you can follow us on Twitch. We're at twitch.tv slash theboochcast. We have live wrestling watch parties on there. Our next one will be Saturday, July the 30th for WWE SummerSlam. And we're going to be airing this one at 8 p.m. when it goes live. We'll have a bootleg link for you to check it out if you don't have a Peacock subscription. And of course, we'll be doing it in one of two places. We'll either be doing it from Nashville, Tennessee with myself and Buff Bagwell because we'll be at StarCast uh, that weekend uh, in Nashville. So we might uh, throw a watch party there. Or if we're not able to do it there, then the team will do one from here in Georgia. So either way, we'll have a SummerSlam watch party for you guys on Saturday, July the 30th. Also, we have a D&D show coming out later this year, and we have the Boochcast Booking Battle, which will take place between myself and Elvis Linsky, where Elvis will put a roster together, I'll put a roster together, and uh, we'll air the matches on Twitch and decide through my GM mode on WWE 2K22 who is the better Booker Man. And of course, in addition to upgrading the equipment, we also use the money from anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support to also bring in bigger name guests, because some guests required to be charged to be on podcasts that allows us to bring people in that you guys might want to hear uh we also pay our bills with it because it allows us to um you know focus more on this and less on other things because we all have day jobs because you know we make we make money from the podcast but not enough to quit those jobs even though i don't want to quit my jobs but i can't speak for uh the other team uh, it also allows us to take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success for example um this is how my co-hosts would make money so if you feel like elvis delinsky or Desmond Dagenhart or uh, Zach Scott or Gator Ricky Ross. If you feel like any of these guys deserve to be paid for being on the show, that's how you make that happen through that donation. And then, of course, uh, with Zach, we also uh, try to feed him ramen noodles because he's broken poor. And we also try to get him laid because he's lame and can't get anywhere with the girls. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then... Pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall That it's time to bid you one and all Goodbye Goodbye So long So long Farewell Farewell Adieu Adieu Be good Stay well Bye-bye Keep warm Relax And eat Take care Stay loose Adieu, mon vieux À la prochaine Goodbye till when we meet again